Welcome to the Advanced Women in Manufacturing podcast, where we talk to amazing female leaders in Canada's manufacturing sector. Advanced Women in Manufacturing is a presentation of Annex Business Media. Now, here's your host, Alex McKenzie. Hello, and thank you for joining us for this Women in Manufacturing podcast. I am Alex McKenzie. I am the Associate Editor with the Light Construction Group. And I'm joined here today by Ainsley Duick. Ainsley. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. Looking forward to this. Yes, wonderful. So can you start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be in the manufacturing industry? Yeah, so I was around the business when my dad was starting it in uh, 2000 and I was roughly 12 years old and I had the benefit of coming to trade shows and working for summers as he was starting the factory and getting the manufacturing going and I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do at that point but I had a pretty good feeling that I wanted to join him in the long run Uh, but as you go through your journey you know, you take different courses or university. And so I took my business degree because my mom had said, you know what, this is a program that will serve you in so many different ways and so many different industries. So I graduated with my business degree, worked for another company for a year, and I was ready to join him. So I kind of fell into it because of the family business, uh, but have never looked back. I've enjoyed it immensely over the years. And now I've been with Dexton for getting on 10 years. You've been in the industry for quite some time. um, And you have a specific expertise in continuous improvement. Can you walk us through what that is? And then tell us what drew you to that specific aspect of manufacturing? Sure. So continuous improvement or lean manufacturing has its roots with the Toyota car manufacturing company. And even before that, it's got its roots with Ford, uh, Henry Ford, when he figured out how to make the Model T in a really efficient way. So it has its roots from many years back already. But essentially, the principles are about having the highest quality with the most efficient processes. And it has a huge basis in the culture. So everybody is responsible for quality and efficiency. And it's important that everybody gets trained in that way. So those are the kind of really, really basic concepts of continuous improvement. There's a company called CME, Canadian Manufacturers and Exporters, that does training across Canada. And so they have programs at different levels. So you can take your yellow belt, green belt, all the way up to your black belt, where they send you to Japan and you look at the manufacturing processes they have for cars. So what drew me to continuous improvement is, um, brings me back to one of my first jobs, which was working with my mom. And she is a lawyer who does wills in the States. And when you write a will or a real estate document, you're going to write your name maybe 20 times in legal documents. So my name, Ainsley Duke, is going to come up over and over and over. And the 
property that is in discussion is going to come up over and over and over. And so I hate being bored and doing inefficient things. <laughs> so, and this was already 20, no, not that long, 15 years ago, roughly. So some of the software had not been as great at the time for lawyers, but there was simple stuff in Microsoft Office. So I was able to take a mail merge and write my name one time, Ainsley Duick, and then have it show up the remaining, you know, 30 times in the rest of the documents. And that was the spark for me in the way that I loved improving processes. I love having consistency. I'm a bit of a perfectionist. So if I wrote Ainsley Duick, the customer's name, 29 times correctly, but I had it wrong that one other time, um, you know, that one's going to bite me. And that, that reflects on the quality of what you're providing to your customer. So that was the foundation of where it started. And then when I came to Dexton, my dad's company was, I don't know, 40, 50 people, something in there. And it was a huge step in complexity, but he said, Hey, we've got you know, a plant that makes windows and doors and it's complicated, but we can take all of those concepts of continuous improvement and put them into the plant. So that's where I started. And then I got my yellow belt, which I was extremely proud of, went back to work for a couple of years and then took my green belt. I've worked a few more years after that. And then hopefully at some point in my life, I'm going to jump on a plane and head to Japan. Yeah, a little, little difficult to do that at the current time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I'm guessing they haven't booked that one in a while. Yeah. Um, so what do you see as being some of the most effective strategies within continuous improvement and lean manufacturing? There's lots of different tools that you use in lean manufacturing. They've got a whole toolkit and they range in complexity. Um, I think that it, it, it changes. So some of the bigger companies are a lot more comfortable using those uh, tools that take a lot more time. You're gonna map out the processes. You're gonna very carefully measure the length of time of every single tiny step in manufacturing. Um, but at the same time, I think that the simplest thing of having the culture in place is really valuable. So we have recently sent a couple people to their yellow belts and normally they would never get a chance to, to do these training programs. And we send people that are already inspired. They're already excited about doing what they're doing and they're showing a lot of potential. But when they come back from the yellow belt, it's, it's almost like a different person. <laughs> They are not willing to accept the status quo because if they had to cut something twice to get the right size, now they're motivated to just cut it once and get the bang on size predictably every time. So they now realize, oh, I don't have to accept things the way that they are. I can work on them to improve them. And it doesn't have to come from senior management. I'm doing the work right here and I can be a part of the solution. So for me, that's the real heart of lean manufacturing is the people. Okay, excellent. Um, yeah, I mean, 
once it's like Pandora's box, right? Once once you've got it open, once you've seen possibilities, it's hard to go back, right? Totally. There's um, there's more more lean examples. I don't know how many more stories you would like. It could go on forever. <laughs> uh, maybe just one more. One? Okay. You guys can pick and choose. I was going to talk about... Automation is a huge thing, and that plays into some of our future conversation that we're going to be discussing. Um, okay, I've got one that I think was went really well. So one of the programs that we launched as part of Lean Manufacturing is a CI walkthrough, a continuous improvement walkthrough. So every month, we walk through the factory with our leadership team and we get to see any improvements that they have made. And then we go back to the boardroom and vote on it. So whoever gets the most votes from the group wins a free lunch for their whole department. So people get a lot of pride out of it. And it's a really nice opportunity for them to show off what they've done to a much broader group. So we went to into the factory and one guy had said, hey, I can't stand putting they're called SDLs, simulated divided lights, or the things that make the grill lines on your windows. He said, hey, these are always uh, mixed up. They're on shelves up here, so I have to climb up on a ladder to get them. They're all wrapped in bundles, so I can't tell what color, what width they are. So he did a project where he found a little space on the floor. He built a pretty simple rack out of two by four so that he could stack all the material upright. And he just took the time to put them in by color, put them in by width. And he is so much happier with the organization of his material. And it was just one of those moments where, you know, he hadn't been through the training, but he just kind of caught that passion. And he's been at Duxton for a long time. So it was so nice to see somebody proudly showing an improvement. And we sometimes encourage our staff to go ahead and calculate how many hours that they've saved in a year from just doing something as simple as that. Um, and it really helps hammer the point home that we can, we can make our work easier and better. Yeah, I think a lot gets said about, you know, the productivity of it, but also, you know, the other benefit on the other side of it is that it actually makes work easier, right? You're working smarter not harder. Definitely. Exactly. Um, are there any drawbacks or like pitfalls that people who are looking to implement some of these strategies in their manufacturing floors um, that they should be aware of? So we have an example locally. One company sent some of their staff to lean manufacturing training. And after that happened, within a year or less, they were just done. So nobody carried the program forward because everybody already had their day-to-day -day jobs. Um, no further people went to the training and that was it. And it just fizzled and, and nothing came of it. Um, so for people that are just starting the lean manufacturing, I think that's a really common pitfall. Um, it takes courage and determination to push a project forward like this. And it tends to live and die with the people that have the training. So if you only have one lean coordinator and that's the person who's responsible for hosting events, 
That's the person who's responsible for having their training up to date. It just doesn't stick. So the important part is to have lots of people trained. We actually have a wall of certificates in our business. And it's one of my favorite moments to get them up on a ladder and have them hang their certificate. And they're always so proud, but um, it, it gives us a chance to, to give it some staying power. It gives the project some legs and it, it uh, has long-term continuity. Um, yeah, that, you know, sense of accomplishment must um, really make things move forward a lot faster when, when people are engaged in it and feel feel that they're making a difference. Biggest smile on their faces when they climb up on the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so you touched a little previously, you said uh, about the future. So what, what are we seeing as the future of continuous improvement in lean manufacturing? What's that gonna look like? I remember talking to somebody else in a, a bigger window and door manufacturing company, and they described processes as semi-automated. And I thought that was a really fascinating way to put it because you kind of imagine that everything is automated, but the reality is you can't automate every step initially because it's way too expensive. You have to finance it over time. And secondly, there's things that the machine just won't do. At some point, the machine's process starts and it ends and you can't just magically put everything into a box and have a window or door pop out of it. So um, I do think though that continuing to automate all the different steps in manufacturing is critical. It is so much more uh, reliable. So I'll take an example. We recently installed a door panel machine and before we would have a certain kind of handle, we would only machine that type of handle maybe once a month. So the problem was that individual didn't always remember which holes go right way up or down. And it makes a big difference because if you get the holes the wrong way, when you try to put the handle on for starters, it just won't go on. And then secondly, you have an exposed hole. So now you have a problem. You've got a big hole in the door and how do you fix that? So the new machine has a computer design that's been reviewed by engineering, test fitted already, and the machine doesn't forget. It also is pretty reliable with very precise machining. It's so much faster because you're not moving the equipment or tools by hand anymore. It's very tightly controlled. So the speed of which these panels are now getting completed, as well as the predictability is so much better. Okay, so automation and, and further technological development really is what's gonna be driving that future. Yeah, and also software is still a huge hurdle for all businesses in manufacturing, again, like, whether you're talking to large or small, they're all facing some of the same issues. And when you try to implement, it, it all comes back to that same thing. You put, um, whether it's somebody's name in the system for a real estate document, or you're gonna put a certain window into the system, 
it has to get past into the machine with certain sizing or it has to take down the inventory count because you're using that material or it has to go into the shipper's schedule with the information of the client to contact them and, and book the delivery. It has to go to invoicing so that we can get the job paid for. So that, those tidbits of information need to move department to department smoothly. And the more customized you are, the harder that gets. And so the future of our industry does depend on not only really good software programs, but also having really good people in-house. So we've been able to improve on a lot of processes with people who are knowledgeable about coding languages or learn by doing. Because when you try to outsource it, those software people don't understand your business and how it runs. And some of the people that come out of university now, as opposed to 20 years ago, they're a lot more savvy about the computer programming end of it, or they may be more willing to learn it. It just comes more second nature. So I've been really amazed at some of the people you wouldn't expect have the knowledge to help you take your business to the next step. Nice. Yeah, that, that good old millennial and Gen Z aptitude with technology, right? <laughs> I know. Well, and they have such a bad rap, so you have to give them some props to even things out. Yeah, I think I think it's all a smoke show. I'm a millennial and I, <laughs> I know none of it's true. So. <laughs> Me too. I'm also millennial and uh, there's too much of a reputation that they uh, don't want to work or they don't care or, you know, work ethic and all these different things. But I think a lot of us do really care and it's just finding the right thing that we're passionate about and that we can pour our heart into. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Um, so moving on to sort of the, the women in aspect of our women in manufacturing podcast, um, do you feel like your experience has been impacted as being a woman in the industry? And if so, um, how do you feel like that has changed maybe the way that you've gone through things? I didn't know very much about manufacturing or construction when I started, even though I was around my dad, I didn't understand how homes were built. I didn't understand how to read cross sections or, or plans so there was a, a big gap for me to fill. I don't swing a hammer. I don't build stuff. So I, I'm not a secret hobbyist that knows how to put the kitchen cabinets together. So there, there was a big learning curve for me just for my own background and interests. So, you know, initially somebody's talking to me about display walls. That was one of my very first projects. I walk in the door and my dad says, okay, we need a new showroom you can go ahead and put the plants together. And then somebody talked to me about a stud and I was like, what's a stud? Studs? And I, I really had no idea what was going to go behind those walls or what was going to support the product. Um, so yeah, that some of just me not having been in construction or doing any of those things was a big learning curve. I think that there's some stereotypes about women not usually being in construction or manufacturing or not knowing how to do these things. Um, maybe they're in 
accounting in a manufacturing company, or maybe they are in marketing, but they might not be in sales or they might not be a line supervisor. And all of those things are not true at Duxton. We have a, a pretty good mix of women here. And I think you could fall into the trap of thinking that it has to be a male doing some of these jobs, like the strength required to put in glass or to hang a door panel is substantial. These things can be easily 100, 200. We can have a piece of glass that's 400 pounds. And now, okay, what kind of equipment are you bringing in to do it? Because are you going to have four people lift that piece in or are you going to have a piece of equipment? So it's it's not always easy to work in a factory like this if if you don't have that that strength and and that can determine what part of the factory that you work in but it doesn't have to be the be all end all and there's so many other skills that we need to make the business tick and one of the women that we had that used to cut on the saw for us was probably stronger than half the guys in the plant and she was so good at her job and she she cut for years and so it just goes to show that you need to figure out what people's skills are Nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so do you feel that there's anything, any differences that you've had to overcome as a woman in the manufacturing industry? Differences to overcome. I think I have to perhaps be that much more good at what I do because I don't necessarily get the assumption that I know what I'm doing, uh, especially when you're 20 and you're entering the industry. Once you've got more years in it, I think it's a lot easier to continue on your path. But initially, it's it was important that I really learned what I was doing and I developed my competency because I don't want to bullshit people. I want to give them real information. And I didn't always get the benefit of the doubt from customers or suppliers that I knew what I wanted. So I'd say that would, that would probably be the biggest hurdle is just overcoming stereotypes, but I don't think it is necessarily as much of a barrier anymore. There's, you know, a, a female who's now in charge of master grain, who is uh, a high quality door panel manufacturer. So she's proven that it's not it's not that glass ceiling that that we're in all facets of manufacturing and and can do a great job of it. Yeah, a glass ceiling in the glass industry just <laughs> a little too meta, I think. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be appropriate? <laughs> um, wonderful. So, what kind of advice would you give to other women who are looking to enter into manufacturing or who are interested in continuous improvement and lead manufacturing? I think it's helpful to know what you want to do. Manufacturing is incredibly um, interesting and complex. So if you're somebody that likes to turn your brain on day to day and learn all the time, manufacturing is definitely one of those. It just doesn't stop, especially if you're in a company that makes things like you're not 
reselling a product. You're not in retail. If you're actually designing and making products in a company or you're a part of a company that does that, I think it's incredibly interesting and it will keep you very in tune with um, growing in your career. So I think um, for people who are considering a career in manufacturing, it's worth looking at your options and deciding, hey, what what gets you excited day to day? Um, Try to get involved and have the right mentor. I mean, I'm so lucky because who else is going to mentor you as well as your your own dad or your own mom. So I am very grateful and not everybody has that opportunity. But when you can find that right mentor who cares about your longer term career, your longer term potential, it'll make a big difference in how you can grow. Excellent. Yeah, that support system is always really wonderful helping get through. do you have any advice that you would give for companies that are looking to hire more women, especially, you know, in the response to the labor shortage that we've been seeing? I think it comes back to the the same comment of it's just uh, to get over any stereotypes that you have. So we had, I don't know, three males in a row that were doing our shipping or our logistics coordination. And so when you're reading through resumes, just to be aware, are you assuming that you're looking for a male name or are you thinking, well, it doesn't have to be, it could be anybody. So just to be aware of some of those built-in assumptions and and really be open to, to what somebody's background is, you know, what does that resume look like? Does it show that they bounce around every six months or does it show that they have committed to some of the things in their life and they have really stuck with it and shown that they're going to be committed and work hard? Does it show that they have interests that align with your business? So, you know, we would play uh, soccer in the field next to us every summer and it would always be a secret green tick if they were interested in soccer. (laughs) (laughs) So something's being a little bit more important in the practicality of it. (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't, it wouldn't guarantee any jobs. (laughs) Wonderful. Um, How about any advice for just sort of making the workspace itself more hospitable for women entering the space? I mean, that's assuming that it's not a hospitable place to begin with. And I, feel like ours has always been very well-rounded that way. So I I just, I think later down the road, it helps for women to have more flexibility with children. I think that's something to consider. I have a two-year-old and it has not been very easy for me to juggle uh, because I don't want to not be around for him enough, but I also can't bring him to a factory where there's you know, screws and saws and all this stuff. (laughs) So when I was nursing, yeah, when I was nursing or he's a toddler now and he's running around, it's a bit trickier. So I think having some accommodations for people with families and, and I say people because dads are sometimes just as equally committed and involved in, uh, especially in those early years. Um, if the company has all males, 
I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing if, if a woman is joining. It, it's it's just all about how somebody is treated and how they feel in that environment. And over the years, we've had more males than females in general, but it's, um, I don't think anyone would blink an eye walking in the door. So it's just good to have that openness to hire everybody and anybody as long as they have the right attitude. And we would probably say attitude before skill, honestly. We would almost say attitude before experience because the other way around is, is tricky. Yeah. Can you dive into that concept maybe a little bit more of, of the attitude and, and what sort of what you look for in, in that specific, you know? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Some of my job is uh, dedicated to reading a lot of resumes and going through them and trying to find the right people to bring in the door but you just can't tell enough on a piece of paper. So I think in our business, it's maybe more important than some of the larger companies where my dad has always been very motivated to innovate. He never wants to be caught behind. He loves to develop new products, loves to stay up to date with the newest challenges that our customers are having. So he will change product, cut new dyes, always adapt to what they need. And so if you have staff that are pretty stubborn about doing things the way that they always were, or when you launch new product all the time, you run into a lot of hiccups. It doesn't just, it's different if you've made 10,000 of something as opposed to three of something. And so your staff has to be a lot more malleable and willing to face problems. But not only that, they have to be willing to share when they're facing challenges. And that's partly why we spend so much time talking to our team about communication. It sounds like a, a cliche, but for us, if we're really motivated to serve our customer first and foremost, we don't want something to get forgotten. We want somebody to absolutely have that passion to look after every file as if it's their own house package. And we would rather spend time with them teaching the technical detail than trying to pull them along into the attitude and that passion to get the job done. Sometimes those habits are, you know, really ingrained. Yeah teaching old dogs new tricks, right? Not not so not so easy maybe sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I think especially in a business like ours that's about medium sized and you you really depend on everybody to to contribute. And I think on the flip side, it's it's that much more rewarding for people because they feel like, yeah, I had a direct impact on that. I didn't just enter or I didn't just attach this widget all day long and that's all I did. I was a part of the decision making. I helped push this forward. So I think it's a pretty pretty cool place to be. Yeah, awesome. That that pride in your work is definitely a good driving force. I I know for myself, you know, I have copies of every magazine that I've had an article published in just because it's like, yeah, I can look at it and say, see, look, I did this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Pride of work is the exactly the right way to put it. All right, awesome. Well, that was all of the questions that I had for you at this point, Ainsley. Was there anything that you felt that you would like to share 
with our listeners. That's really important um, to pass along. Ooh, closing statements. That's putting me on the spot. <laughs> I think I'm too long-winded like my dad. But he's got he's always got these uh these winners uh for closing out, so that'll be on my edited list. <laughs> I would say being in manufacturing has been one of the most rewarding things that I have done, but equally one of the more difficult things that I've done because there are a lot of variables that you can't control. You can't control what the supplier sent you. You can't control how they built the house on site. And all of these different variables have to come together smoothly. But it is incredibly rewarding. And like I said, it helps you turn your brain on every day. It helps you learn more. Buildings are often up for many years. So there's this long-lasting testament to your work. And I would encourage women to definitely consider being in a manufacturing company as opposed to, um, like I said, an arm's length or retail. You can really feel like you're a part of something. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Ainsley. We really appreciate you coming and being on our Women in Manufacturing podcast. Definitely. Thank you for having me, Alex. <laughs>